Welcome to Now Let's Talk, the podcast with Vanessa Corwin and Kathleen Kahn. As the world opens up, we'll be talking to people about their experiences during COVID, as well as the joys and challenges of life beyond the pandemic. Hello, I'm Vanessa Corwin. And I'm Kathleen Kahn. With us today is Dom Perucchio, author of Stomping Ground. In this memoir, he describes his life of crime growing up in Greenwich Village in the 1960s and the day that changed his life. Welcome to the podcast, Dom. Nice to have you. Hi. Thanks. Thanks, ladies, for having me on your podcast. So let's let's start from the very beginning. Uh, why did you want to write this book? Uh, basically to... Uh, um, I guess get my my life out there kind of before I forgot it. It was basically a tribute and a dedication to my mother who, uh, you know, suffered through all of the uh, turmoils that I put her through and what life put her through. And I want to thank my family and and I want to give a big shout out to my co-author about the book because it was, he was very instrumental, Charles Messina in, in, uh, getting it done. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you uh, was how, what was the process of writing the book? About five or six years ago, maybe seven years ago, I uh, got this idea in my head to write a book. So I said, well, I better put down some notes. So I wrote about 200 pages of handwritten uh, chapters or notes, whatever you want to call them, tried to put them, assemble them together and in the form of a book. And then after I retired, I shopped around for a publisher or somebody even basically to clean up the book because it is my first book and I'm not, you know, savvy on writing books. So at this point, enter Charles Messina, correct? Yes, yes. It was it was um, kind of a strange situation. I had seen one of his books that he had written previously. And I, I didn't know him because he's about 15 years younger than me. But I reached out to him through his publicist. It was just amazing that, uh, you know, he had gotten back to me uh, so quickly. So I explained to him, you know, uh, what my lifestyle was because he didn't know me either because of the age difference. Although we grew up maybe you know, on, on, on both on either side of the of the village, the village is kind of divided by Sixth Avenue. So I was on one side, he was on the other. But I knew his family, and you know, he knew where I used to stay, my friends. So that, you know, that's where it, that's where it all started. And and about a year and a half later, we finalized everything and uh, we published it. You have so many things in the book that you have overcome. For people that have not read the book. Can you tell us more about, as a young man, what kind of a lifestyle did you have? Well, as I, as I previously said, the book was a tribute to my mother. She uh, was estranged from my father because he had a terrible gambling habit and ran up a lot of debts. So we came, we came across a, a powerful mob figure that my father had owed money to. And... I don't know how it happened because I was a little young at the time. I was only 10 years old. And uh, my, my mother and, uh, and this mob figure kind of made a relationship. 
out of it. So basically, you know, at 10 years old, I was introduced to this different kind of a lifestyle. Uh, the village had all of these mob figures in them. And uh, he kind of influenced my life. So tell us about some of the things that you did as a kid growing up. You maybe got involved in some criminal activities. It was a normal upbringing. I mean, I went to, I went to a Catholic school. It was, I came from a middle-class family. I graduated uh, grammar school, Ultra uh, Grammar School, and into high school. We played a lot of sports. Uh, but we were always into a lot of mischief because we never stayed home. And what kind of mischief? Eh, just normal kid stuff, throwing water balloons at people and funny things like that, playing pranks on each other, uh, firecrackers, lighting firecrackers. And as you, Dom, as you got older, you yeah. you really went into more than just um, prankster kind of games with kids can you tell us when you were a little more of an adult what you went into with this background yeah how did that escalate probably probably it escalated from getting a little bit older getting more bored and once we started to get involved with alcohol you know probably at a young age maybe 16 years old or something like that then then things started to happen you know as far as getting into illegal activities or escalating with fights or uh, stuff that you can get into trouble with because you you go from a juvenile delinquent to possibly a a criminal at that point in time. What kind of, and I'm quoting you here, illegal activities uh, were you involved in? Well, I mean, just being introduced to the mob figure at 10 years old. I mean, at 13 years old, I was carrying policy slips for him because my mother was and, and the, what's um, that what's what what's the policy well, well the the italian lottery when you play the number at the at the end of the day uh either either the bookie owes somebody or or, or it's, it's all tallied up and my mother was kind of like working for them at night after after she came home from a regular job she would tally up all the slips that came in and they would figure out, you know, who owed who. The whole, the whole situation, after school, I would be running these slips back and forth to my house because that's where this stuff was being tallied up. And at 13 years old, uh, basically, that's where I got my start doing these uh, uh, minor things. Well, all right. That was when you're 13. Now jump to like you're 17. At 17 years old, I was done with high school. I didn't. I went... <laughs> This is a funny story. I went one day to college. I was going to go to City College, Bronx Community College. And I took the ride one day for orientation. I said, I'm never going to do this again because it was A, too far, and B, I I thought it was a waste of time. So I didn't go to college. So I I basically got a job, um, a legitimate job. uh, And uh, on the weekends, we would just uh, get into trouble. It was kind of like Saturday Night Fever. I mean, we worked all week long and the week, you know, we actually lived for the weekends. This way we could have fun with parties and girls and drinking. We had a social club and that all brings about, you know, rowdy kind of, you know, raucous behavior. That does still doesn't sound too um, 
criminal. I mean, kids do this all the time. What was that switch that you had, that you were involved in some criminal activities, as you say? I, I was always looking to enterprise one way or another. So enterprising, you can go in a couple of different directions. You could do it legally or illegally. As you get older, you have a car, you, you, you need more money. So you, you decide to take chances and, and do different things. All right. You, you talk about in your book, uh, something that happened on 47th Street at one point where you totally changed your life around. Do you wanna describe what happened? Yeah, basically I was working for two of my lifelong friends. They were in the jewelry business. They had a legitimate and illegitimate business going at the same time. They had a booth on 47th Street where they bought precious metals and sold jewelry. And, bas and basically they needed people, uh, people, they needed me to watch their booth when they weren't around. They hired me as, really wasn't a bodyguard, but it was more like an, an extra pair of eyes because we're, we're dealing with high, high, high amounts of cash and there's always jewelry and gold and diamonds around. So it, it, was, it, was, it was a dangerous situation up there, even though the NYPD tried to keep it in check and they had private security up there. But back then in, in those days, it was kind of like the wild, wild west and it, it could be very dangerous. That's where we got into trouble one day. We had, um, they had a client and the client didn't want to deal with uh, the transaction downstairs. So they had an apartment upstairs. So we had dealt with them in the past and we went upstairs and they uh, held us hostage at gunpoint, robbed everything that we had on us and uh, let us go. But before they let us go, they were, uh, I don't know what their game was. They were maybe playing Russian roulette with us. They were putting the gun to a pillow and they, we were gagged and we were uh, handcuffed. And then after that, they let us go. And I was very surprised, and I always felt that that incident was uh, part of the divine intervention that I that I dealt with a couple of times in my life, and uh, I'm around to talk about it. Myself uh, and one other, one other person could have died that day. So after that incident, uh, what uh, road then did you decide to take uh, career-wise? Well, after that incident, I, I started to take a hard look at my my uh, my new profession there. And I said, well, I'm not really a partner in this business. So I said uh, to myself, this is a little bit too dangerous. And I decided to get out of that situation uh, because I didn't want that to happen again. And, and it could well have happened again. So I went into uh, the wholesale meat, uh, meat distributing business with uh, my brother-in-law. We had set him up uh, previously about two or three years before I left 47th Street. He had his established business going and there was room for growth there. So I went to work with my brother-in-law as a partner and we uh, made a go of it uh, distributing uh, meat to restaurants, meat and provisions. So he so had the business originally and you joined in as a partner, is that right? I joined in as a partner. We set up the business for him. Uh, he needed money. Uh, they gave him the money uh, free of charge because they knew him and liked him. 
Well, who we? Who are you when you say we? Tell us who we is. The the two of the the two other people I was working with, uh, Raymond and Charlie, were their names. Raymond and Charlie had given them the money. I might say so, and they knew him. They knew him, you know. They knew him as my brother-in-law, and they knew him as a nice, you know, nice guy. And they then they actually did him a favor. They they lent them, I believe, maybe twenty thousand dollars to buy a truck, and you know, to have the truck outfitted with uh, all kinds of air conditioning, and and then to get his business jump started. And you know, maybe they had hopes of of making that into a major, you know, uh, like distributorship for themselves. But it was never big enough to, to grow, for them at least, but it was big enough for it to grow for me to come in as a partner. I know your mother was so important to you and influenced you, and obviously she was dating this gangster when you were 10. Uh, she must have been very happy that you decided after this fiasco on 47th Street to change your lifestyle. Obviously, she didn't know about this fiasco, and I don't think, I'm not even sure if my wife knew about it at the time. I didn't, you know, it's not something you want to brag about, because, you know, we never reported it to the police or anything like that. We just chalked it off as, hey, we, we survived it. They probably will, will never get caught, even if you do report it. So who needed the headaches? So, but she was happy that I was uh, working the, the meat business with Andy, because she looks, Andy was my brother-in-law, that was his name, and she loved Andy, and you know, and she was very happy about that. So then you you also worked in construction for a time. Is that right? Right. So this transpired around eight, 1984. I left 47th Street and got into the meat business with, with my friend Andy. It was called GBA Meats, God Bless America Meats. And it was a very interesting concept that he had. He had this truck with, it was all decked out with, American eagles and American flags on it. And it was very patriotic because he was a very patriotic guy. So after I was with him about four or five years, we saw that the growth of the business wasn't going to go the way we planned it. And it would be better off that I stepped away from the business. So he bought me out, uh, made me a payment every week. And for that year that he was paying me off, I went to uh, learn the construction business as an apprentice for like some kind of minimum, minimal wage. So I'm going to work for people and they're thinking like I'm crazy because I have a, a wife and a child and a house and I'm working for them for like $8 an hour, but they didn't understand that somebody was subsidizing my, my income. So you did this until your retirement? Yes, yes, I did the construction. I reverted back to a company that I, that I worked for uh, where I did construction and installation of banking equipment, Debol Safe Company at the time. That was the name. And they're still around. They make ATMs. I um, went back to them and approached them. And I said, well, when you have an ATM project, I can install the ATM and make the wall opening, do the electric. So I did that for them for eh, 25 or 30 years. Let me just backtrack a little bit. Um... So you had said at one point, and this was actually your phrase, you guys went from pranksters to gangsters. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about that, about that transition and what were some of the specific activities that you guys 
uh, were engaged in that were more in the gangster category. The, the basics of, 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 the, uh, of, of the jewelry business or the social club, I mean, that was all semi-illegal or illegal activity. So you can go to jail just for that. I mean, there was many beatings that went on in the village and there was many fights and things of that nature. There was an actual riot in Washington Square Park and people had died there and uh, friends of mine went to jail for it. Things of that nature, you know, where you could just be around one day and you don't plan anything and then something really bad happens and then, then, you're, then you're running for cover. Are you still in touch with any of the people from that you knew back in those days from the old neighborhood? Yeah, several of them I'm, I'm on. Uh, if they're alive, I'm in touch with them, obviously. Uh, some of them are on, on Facebook. Uh, we, in the book, the book starts out uh, early on with our little group, a co uh, core group of 12, and we call ourselves the Dirty Dozen. And it was pretty much the mob figure was the head of it. And there was like 11 of us that were in that group. And he enjoyed staying with us on weekends. So he named us the Dirty Dozen. So there's, at this point in time, only five, maybe six of the Dirty Dozen is still alive. And I'm only in touch with uh, two. Have they read your book yet? Yes, yes, they've read it. They love it. Uh, uh, they like the parts that I wrote about them. Uh, well, it was it was a very honest honest book. You know whether they whether certain people didn't like it or not. That's you know up to them. Do you ever go back to the old neighborhood? Not that often. Uh, when my mother passed away, and this was a long time ago, like in 1993, that was pretty much me me stopping going back to the to the village on a regular basis. A lot of people have moved away. COVID has caused a lot of problems. Uh, the general nature of New York City has caused situations of parking and driving. And so I've made a life for myself in New Jersey for 45 years now or more. What do you, what do you suggest for aspiring writers? I would say write the book. Try and find the publicist, try and self-publish. It's difficult to make money with a book if nobody really knows you. By happen chance, I, I ran into my co-author, who's a very talented writer, and he got interested in it. For all these people out there that want to buy the book, where can they get it? It's on Amazon. If you Google Stomping Ground or my name, uh, it'll it'll come up on Amazon right away. Uh, I think it's at it's at Barnes and Nobles. Uh, a lot of stores don't put books on shelves anymore, so you order it through the you know through the internet, and you'll get it in a couple of days. Right, and I'm I'm sure they could also order it through their uh, local independent bookseller. Yeah, you would help out the local the local vendor if you bought it locally. I just want to say one other thing. There's a book coming out next year. There's no name to it yet. A friend of mine is a, an established writer, and he's putting, he's putting together a, a collaboration of 40 individuals, 40 stories or chapters from people who grew up in the village. So I wrote one chapter recently, and my chapter is called The Summer of 1968. It, it should be very interesting with stories about artists, 
from the 1960s that, you know, were in the village and, you know, and, and, and my chapter about the summer of 68. You'll have to let us know when this is uh, happening and what the name of the book is. Absolutely. Yes. Definitely yes, I will. let's post it on that. We'll be on the lookout. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it, Dom. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your comments and questions to info at nowletstalkthepodcast.com and check out our website at nowletstalkthepodcast.com. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.